Hello and welcome back to Down the Slope. It's it's a bit of a different episode today, as you can hear by the Did voice. Did you say change. welcome back to episode one? What? I didn't say welcome back to episode <laughs> one. And, and during my introduction, I've been prepping all day. Ewan's interrupted me and put me off my flow. But as I said, welcome back to Down the Slope. And it's the first, um, it's our pilot episode of a new series we're running called State of the Game, where essentially we're going to look beyond Hibs and look at Scottish football in general and break down a different topic within the game each episode. Um, and luckily this time we'll introduce him in a minute, but we've got a special guest on that we're very excited about. But first of all, we've got our regular returners. Greg, how are we doing? Yeah, not bad, mate, you? Um, not too bad. Liam, how's it hanging? Doing well, doing very well, thank you. <laughs> and Ewan, how are you getting on? Yeah, good, mate. Just trying to come to the conclusion if weekends with or without hibs are better or worse. I'm still, I'm still not fully sure yet. Yeah, they, they, feel, they feel bad at the time, but then you remember how Hibs are playing at the moment, and it's definitely a bit better. But as I mentioned, we've got a special guest on, and it's I think it's fair to say, um, it's not an understatement, a legend of Scottish football, <laughs> especially in the Twitter sphere. And we've got old Firm, firm Facts joining us today. Adam, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. I really like that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me on. I know, our pleasure. But um, as, as I mentioned to you before we started, uh, we like to ask um, a new guest for the first time, just an icebreaker question to get to know you a bit. Obviously, you like to cover Scottish football and all its glorious silliness. So since the start of the pandemic, which was 2019, 2020, I don't know, um, what is the silliest moment in Scottish football, in your opinion, that made you laugh the most? It's Obviously, it's hard to narrow that kind of thing down. And as you probably know, I do that weekly patter roundup. So, like, if I, I I could have spent all day just scrolling through the last couple of years of it, so there were like a couple of obvious ones that were sort of big, long, drawn out sagas that were brilliant, like the Dundee email thing, Celtic in Dubai, and stuff like that. Um, but the one that jumped out at me just just for how just ridiculous it is, and it was uh, do you remember the interview Myrtle McLeod gave to Dumbarton? <laughs> Yeah, uh, and it was just basically the least, uh, the least educational answers ever given in an interview. So he was like, it was just like a Q and A thing, and it was the sort of standard questions you get asked in these Q and As. And it was like, who's your favourite player of all time? And it just says, I don't have a favourite player. <laughs> and, and every every question, every answer was like that, but they're all like shared in a fancy graphic by Dumbarton as if he said something really profound you know like it's an Instagrammable meme or something but it's just like um who who inspired or influenced your career the most over the years all of my managers had an impact on my football career who is your favorite player in the current season that changes during the season (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that it's like when English premiership footballers you get the the post match the post match Instagram post out from their from their like social media team. There's just absolutely no human side to it at all. Yeah, totally. It, it, there was one. I'm just looking at it now. You get asked to the craziest player he played with was, and he said, "I don't think I played with any crazy players." <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's there's vanilla. Then there's that guy. Yeah. Like, geez. <laughs> Hi. 
Well, there you have it, guys. Thank, thanks for joining us today. That's that's the whole podcast. <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Um, as I mentioned, we're going to pick a different topic um, each time at the state of the game of Scottish football. And the topic for today's episode is going to be media in the Scottish football. Um, obviously, I think it's something that we've all had a shot on this podcast of complaining about before. Um, I personally think there's a lot of improvements that could be made to it, but we're just going to go through it um, step by step and look at all the different aspects. So first of all, um, probably the key thing for bringing money anyway, um, the broadcast deals. So the first um, broadcast thing we're going to break down a bit. Um, a couple of seasons back, there was a showdown essentially between BT Sport and Sky Sports for the right to the game here in Scotland. Um, just before we talk about Sky Sports and the current deal, um, I'll open the floor up to you guys. What did we think of BT when they were running the game in Scotland? BT were good. Like, like they definitely... I think I think they seen that people liked their coverage more than Sky, and then just tried to sort of go with that. Because let's not say that BT were out with their flaws as well. Like they had that sort of was it the League Cup semi final advertisement <laughs> and stuff like that. But yeah, they 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 definitely leaped onto the bandwagon. They had, they just had a finger finger closer to the pulse up in Scotland than Sky do. Um, but obviously they got put firmly out the water. Yeah, and Liam, what, what are your thoughts? So you, you, you talked about the broadcast deal has been important for bringing money into the Scottish game, and I think that's that's right. It's, it's a very important part of what a broadcast deal does, but for me, it's, it's deeper than that. So a broadcaster should really sell the story and help sell the narrative of the game in your country, and I think that's what BT did that Sky don't do. And, and there's some other things they did that they don't do. Um, I know that Adam's had on his... Uh, Weekly Old Firm Facts podcast, a few of the guys from Sunset and Vine on and to mm-hmm. talk about um, the, the work that went in behind the scenes and how they created some of those relationships between the, the different people that were on there. And, like, you, you know, Chris Sutton is a great example of someone who is just absolute marmite. You love him or you hate him, but you tune in to watch him every week because he's engaging to watch and he's controversial and he says things. But it's not saying things just from the point of view of, like, we all know there are certain people on the Sky Sports coverage, not naming any names, who are there basically to support one team and push forward a narrative for one team. That wasn't just his position, albeit he did you know, do things with quite a bit of Celtic bias. But I just think that BT overall as a broadcaster really understood the game better and understood what parts of the narrative they could really sell. Adam, if you've got any thoughts on BT and how they dealt with the game here? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, just coming back to what Ewan was saying, obviously, my whole thing is the old firm, so I thought they got the font size just right for those semi-finals. With BT, pretty much what, what Liam was saying, they, I've had uh, Grant Phillips from Sunset and Vine was on a couple of weeks ago with Emma Dodds, who's been on a couple of times, Rory Hamilton's been on. They, they all... They all play a part or played a part in what made BT Sport really successful and kind of innovative in the way that it was covering Scottish football. Just small things that are now kind of adapted across the board of like having the pundits all on the pitch, um, chatting away, having a bit of a laugh pitch side. And no, they weren't the first to do that, but they made it just a slightly more informal, less kind of cliched, stuffy way of approaching the game then you'd get those sort of daft moments like the pre-recorded bits with Chris Sutton getting halved by Stephen Craigan or whatever you know uh, but it all just kind of felt like the people who were running it were doing it with the fans in mind it wasn't just like there's a 
there's a template for how to do a live broadcast. We follow it and move on to the next one. It was actually, you know, how do we, how do we sort of um, translate that pub feeling, that, that feeling of like the way you talk about the game in the pub, how do we translate that to a television broadcast while still obviously remaining professional? And yeah, I, I, I thought it was a really big loss. And obviously you still see with, with cup games and certain other games, the, the, those personnel are still involved. But uh, yeah, it was a shame that we were beaten out by Sky. I think, um, sorry, Greg, I know you must say I think what BT almost thrived on was the fact it felt like they got second choice on games as well. So, obviously, mm. they, I don't think they ever covered a Celtic Rangers League game. They obviously eventually got the League Cup final that was probably their sort of crown jewel. I think it was going to be one of their last games as well. I want to say it was in the last season that they had coverage. And But I think because they got the... The games like the Dundee Derby, they had a few Edinburgh Derbies, but even like, you know, like I, I want to say they had us v Motherwell on at, at Far Park and stuff like that. They, it meant that they were giving television time to at the at the time when they clubs weren't, while still talking about Celtic and Rangers, but obviously it wasn't as focused on that. Mm. And obviously they had like the Scottish Football Extra and stuff on, on like the Friday night. And at the time, which I, to give Sky some credit, they aren't doing this year, Sky were doing 15 minute build up. And, you know, and like that's where you get your benefit out of a TV deal and promoting the game. Like, I know not it's not everyone's cup of tea, but at the end of the day, the TV company don't control what happens in the 90 minutes, they can only control what happens out with it. And just uh, BT had a nice squad or roster, if you like, of pundits. It always felt quite fresh. I want to say sometimes even had four pundits on, you know, like they're sort of regulars and more specified ones, whereas Sky's just a bit stale, I feel. You always felt like they'd done their homework going into those games. It didn't feel like it was, you know, the first time they were hearing a Dundee player's name. It felt like they'd all done the work. They were familiar with them and it wasn't just sort of spouting cliches about it or just vague, you know, assessments of the squad. It was yeah. actual, you know, they had the research was there and then they were so confident in what they knew about the teams that they could still have a bit of a laugh while they were talking about it. One of the things that Rory Hamilton said was... Uh, you know, it's like regardless of who's playing, he he basically spends the week feeling like he's supporting those teams. So that that's reflected in his enthusiasm when there's a goal. It's not a case of, um, you know, he's going through the motions. He's, he sort of immersed himself in those teams for the the, the week leading up to it. Uh, and I don't know, I just feel like that kind of research and passion it really sort of came through in a way that Sky doesn't always... Although, you know, to give them credit, I think the coverage has improved. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, a key thing with BT Sport is the opponents to the likes of Celtic and Rangers weren't presented as the opponents. They were presented as actual teams. Mm. So, like, if they were playing against Dundee, it would be Dundee, here's a breakdown of Dundee. It wouldn't be um, Celtic's opponents, Dundee, and here's how Celtic need to break them down, <laughs> which I feel is kind of the angle that Sky Sports pitch it at. Yeah. Um, but we've, we've touched heavily on BT Sport there. We'll stop putting their trumpet for a moment. Greg, we'll come to you. We've not heard much from you yet. Sky Sports, I think quite a main gripe is the fact that it's pretty transparent that they've got two teams that bring in their views for them, so they prioritise them. Um, what was your first reaction when you heard that the Dundee Derby and the Edinburgh Derby's third one of the season weren't being shown? Um, the Edinburgh Derby one was, was actually okay because it's a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday. So <laughs> get well tanked up before it. Um, for me, though, I think that it's always just the suit Rangers and Celtic. I think, I think there was a start last season of 
how many games Rangers and Celtic fans had to pay for through uh, pay-per-view or whatever, and it was massively different to what every, what every other club had to pay for because the other clubs weren't really shown on the sky as much. You know, Hibs seemed to be on the telly every week at the start of the season, but that dwindled out and you've got losers like Chris Boyd that only want to peddle one agenda and he isn't balanced in his in his opinions. He's probably very forceful towards Rangers, but I just feel like Sky are just miles off it with our pundits, with the way they go about it, with our coverage of Scottish football. Like going back to BT, they still have a weekly show on the, the Scottish League. And I like that, you know, I think that they always want to be involved in that. I was really disappointed when Sky got the deal because it's it's amateur over with them. There's only one one league really in that Sky matter about when that's English Premier League they're not really don't they seem to be too arsed about Scottish football which I feel like BT did they had a very much personal touch so I just think Sky's a bit of a sham to be honest and the coverage is very poor uh, and not, not sorry again not to dig them out too much Adam but um, obviously you you tend to highlight some of the funny moments that have happened on Sky Sports <laughs> across the years um, I think the most bonkers one correct me if I'm wrong it was Hibs were playing against Kilmarnock at Killy Park but it called the Stadium Tyne Castle it had the <laughs> Dundee United badge instead of the Hibs badge like what, what's the most daft thing off the top of your head apart well, from that you can think of that Sky Sports have done well there's been a million ones where they've got names and badges wrong and I think the mm-hmm. sort of the standout for me is when they had a, they were interviewing Derek McInnes in the boot room at Pataudry and it just came up <laughs> Pep Guardiola. Just even so thinking of like you've talked about the Dundee Derby there before. Like, I mean, the, it's not necessarily a surprise that they're not showing it when they only think there's one team in Dundee. Like, it's interchangeable. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I, I think the problem with Sky is there are really good people there who are undermined by the daft mistakes. Because if you watch any coverage, and like you, you'd include BT Sport, anything that BBC or anyone does in football coverage, there will be mistakes. But because you know when you're watching BT Sports coverage that it's coming from a good place, that they have been doing the research and the work, and that everyone is really passionate about Scottish football... You're, you're not sort of using that as a stick to beat them with. It's just, oh, that was a funny mistake, move on. But every time, and I'm totally guilty of this, every time that happens with Sky, it's like, check what Sky have done now. You know, yeah, and it's, yeah. and it's, you know it's, it's indicative of the general attitude. And the thing is, you've got really, really good people at Sky. You know, like Ailey Barber's absolutely brilliant. And they do have some very good pundits. But it's, I think they're just being, they get undermined too often by the sort of amateur mistakes that aren't being made necessarily by pundits that are getting made somewhere by someone who's just using Scottish football as an afterthought. And also, as you say, the fact that it does seem, rightly or wrongly, it does give that impression of being more old firm-centric than BT Sport. I don't have an issue with Rangers and Celtic being centric and everything that happens in Scottish football, really, because they are by far and away a lot lot bigger than everyone else they are a worldwide draw the old fun games are huge like in terms of global audience but i think that the deal itself that i know we'll come into but the structure of it seems really really bizarre to me is it not that there's got to be four old fun games in it mm. how that's not how can that be guaranteed now i know it will happen and i know <laughs> one it'll probably never happen in our lifetime where it doesn't happen but it could and like this, the whole reason that our game at Tynecastle isn't on is because you're only allowed to have so many games at each ground per season. 
what that begs to me is how that's never happened before. But like, you know, I, I don't get how that's never happened before. I don't know if it's because BT have, like, was it maybe Sky could be at a ground five times and BT could be there twice, three times. But I don't understand how this stumbling block's never come up before. Because not to not to be a slam dunk on Rangers as I know we like to do, but um, Hibs Hearts and Rangers all spent a lot of years in the last in recent times not in the top flight all at once. So I think that probably is quite a contributing factor if you think about it like that. But just yeah, maybe. But like even just off the top of my head, if you look at our first season back up, like all four teams were in uh, were in the top half. No, they were in the Hearts finished bottom half. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Hearts finished top half. No, Hearts did finish top half, and obviously, so like that's why I, I don't, I don't understand where this hasn't happened before either at Tynecastle or Easter Road in our in our examples. And like, what I do think Sky have done better this year is they've started showing games at Ibrox and Celtic Park. It felt like, you know, like I think our last season, our game at Celtic Park was right after Dubai was due to be on Sky. I think it still ended up being on Sky. Like they were games that years gone gone by just were never touched at all. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting as well. Like, thinking back to last season, I think they only showed forty-one of the forty-eight games they were contracted to show. Yeah. Um, and we all know last season, like there was no title race last season. Like Celtic <laughs> just for last season, just were basically just a total banter club for for seventy-five percent of last season. But then there was like something interesting happening at the bottom of the league. Like there was a genuine like battle for relegation, and they showed none of none of the games of the bottom six last season. They showed no interest in it. And actually, if I think back, I know I think since then BBC Scotland have secured some of the rights. They didn't even bother showing things like relegation playoff semi-finals and stuff and the build-up yeah. to that. So I know they did show obviously Kilmarnock against Dundee, but the, mm. the games prior to that weren't shown. And those are games that people in Scottish football genuinely are interested in watching outside of the old firm. But they did use some of the contracted games to show games like Derek McInnes's Aberdeen against Callum Davidson St Johnston. I mean talk about picking games of football. I mean that is not a way to market Scottish football and, and show it in its best light because it's, it's just not a good game to select. Thing as well is that obviously I'm not uh, I'm not behind the scenes at Sky. I don't know, you know, how their budgets work and all the rest of it. But I think when you're talking about, say, relegation games, you don't have to be a fan of the two teams involved to know that that's going to be an entertaining game. If you've got ninth against tenth in the Premiership, getting played in the pissing rain, and there's three red cards and all the, and you know, it's every, you know they're desperate for the points. That's a game everyone in Scotland's going to have an interest in. You know that, that you just need to sell that, tell that story. You know, in the in the pre-match build-up and the, you know, the adverts leading up to it and all the rest of it. You don't have to have a Celtic or Rangers involved to sell that to people. It's misery. People love misery, right? <laughs> yeah. Like it's absolute <laughs> misery. Like watching teams get relegated. Like I watch um, every every year. I'm not a massive English football fan, but I'll always watch the League Two, League One, and Championship playoffs. Mm. Not because I want to see the elation of the team winning. <laughs> I love watching the misery on the faces of the teams that don't get promoted. It's brilliant. That, see, just, just that's why I don't. I just think a lot of it's promotion in it, you know. And like like Adam said, telling that story, like. Scottish football gets presented in a specific way, whether we agree with it or we don't agree with it, whether we think there's Sky can do more, the SPFL can do more, BT, uh, BBC, whoever it is. But I feel like sometimes we'd, and we probably are getting slightly better at it, but we need to start shouting loud about things. Like I know Agent Scotland on Twitter gets a lot of bad rap, but a period of time he was whacking out the attendance stats every week. I don't think he does it anymore. But I think per capita, we are one of, we, we were we the leading. There. 
I don't know if we still are. Like, so yeah, maybe you could argue some of our grounds are too big or some of this or some of that. And there is a lot of clubs in Scotland, but that's surely just a huge selling point. You know, we are the, the, the atmosphere is there. The, the, the fans are there, albeit it might not look great on the TV, but surely the TV companies can be working with clubs to try and make it look better for what they can get. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I just think there's a lot of work to be done by the media, but I know, I don't know. Right, well, I'm, I'm going to put one question to each of you. Is, um, this isn't actually how it went down, but I'm just going to give you the example. Um, as a 50-50, would you rather um, Sky kept the deal for 100 million and they never... Over got, how long? Um, say, say it's a current contract, so d- double the current contract, but um, they never fill out their full allocation of games, but obviously a lot more money available for the Scottish game. Or would you rather BT got it for 50 million, but they filled out their allocation for the game every week. Greg, we'll come to you first. Which deal would you take? I'd rather BT position? got it, to be honest, because <clears throat> football is all just all about money. And why why would you need... Why not just promote the game properly with a proper station that wants to show the game and promote it with, with good pundits that have a knowledge of the game that seem to actually care, rather than a bunch of charlatans that maybe aren't arsed and don't really bother about getting the logo's wrong every week or whatever. I just think we, we need to actually back ourselves and you know, see, see if the deal is slightly less, but we get a better better package um, in terms of showing the games and, and why not. Um, just before I go to anybody else, I just want to say that's virtually my opinion, but put better than I would have put. Uh, Liam, we'll go to you next. Oh, fuck's sake. This is going to be on his podcast and we all just fucking agree with each other. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> no I, mean, I, mean, I mean, just to, 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 I suppose that it's like devil's advocate role. I think we're looking at this through the prism of just BP yeah, and, yeah. and Sky. And actually, I think there are there are other providers out there in the market. And um, Amazon Prime have kind of dipped their toes in the water. I think Netflix are rumoured to, rumor to be. I think there are alternatives. And like I think we need to be prepared to think maybe a little bit outside the box of solutions. So instead of Ian McGregor, I'm just going to refuse to answer the question. <laughs> um, you, Ewan and Adam you are welcome to <clears throat> refuse to comment or you can put your opinion in as well well I'll, I'll do a kind of fence sit on it I, I, if I was confident that the extra 50 million from Sky was going to be invested properly and that Sky were you know you know, going to rise to that opportunity and you know keep improving their coverage I would take that but I'm a confident that that 50 million would be invested properly not really. Um, and just in terms of the, the coverage, I'll always go with BT Sport. Yeah, I, I think I'd definitely lean on the side of BT Sport purely from you're, so you'd be improving your deal than what you've got just now, 50 million a year as opposed to the 30 odd, right? But with the right promotion, sponsorships will increase. And, you know, like if you promote it correctly, your additional things like league sponsor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is all going to increase. So, yeah, it's got to be the short term gain. Eh, sorry, long-term game with a short-term pain of the 50 less mil. Fair. Okay, so we've all established that BT Sport did reign supreme over Sky, but if we did get 50 extra million on top of what we got, we'd probably take it. So moving on to the next thing, um, another form of broadcast over Scottish football is BBC Sports Scene and Sports Sound. Um, BBC Sports Scene, correct me if I'm wrong, do two shows a week, one after the... Uh, yeah. First set of fixtures, one after the second set of fixtures. Um, Sports Sound broadcast live on the weekend during the games. Um, I'll put my opinion across first and we can build from there. So I think that the coverage is good for what it is, but I think that a couple of years ago, even though a lot of people had a, a, had a lot of backlash on Twitter, I think that 
um, Sky Sports News like modernizing their desk and the people that would commentate on games. I think that was a massive improvement for Sky Sports. Um, I think that the people they've got on the panels at the moment, especially on Sports Sound, could probably do with an upgrade. Um, it's just not that like, they just don't really speak to me um, as much as I think a whole new crop of younger, um, more modern thinking people would. Um, Ian, we'll come to you first. Is that is that your ilk of thinking? Or? Um, I, I, I don't know if this is out there or not. I think sport, sports scene, yeah. albeit can be a little bit bland, and my one gripe is it, whether it is it's an hour-long show and probably 30 minutes of it goes to Celtic and Rangers, which again... Is you've got to play to your audience, I guess. But I think sports scene's pretty good. You tie that in with the every second week or every some the Friday night game that they'll cover from the championship. Um, I think sports scene's fine, and I really enjoy how easy it is to access in terms of it's on at seven o'clock on the Saturday, later on the Saturday, and then I think the same on the Sunday. Right, sports scene's fine as far as I'm concerned. Um, it could maybe do with more time on air, but I don't know if that's due to the BBC or if that's just due to the broadcasting deal or what, but if it had more time, it'd probably be better. Um, Sports Sound, I listen to every week before and after the game, if I'm uh, driving to the game or unless I'm at the pub earlier or whatever, but but when I'm walking back to the station, I definitely listen after. But that's because it's what I'm into. It's what I enjoy. I enjoy Scottish football. I enjoy listening to the stuff I like. It's the fastest way to hear Sean Maloney after the game, the opposition manager and all that. The people that are on it, it I think it does need a shake-up. There's... I feel like there's a lot of voices representing similar clubs, and I I don't want to sound like... there's, there's not a Hibs voice from our point of view, really, but I think you've got a few representation, um, some representation from Hearts, some representation from Aberdeen, Celtic, maybe one, Rangers, maybe one in Derek Ferguson off the top of my head. I think it could be a little bit more blanket, and I think you've started to see the introduction of someone like Rory Loy, I want to say, and I think he's been a really good addition to it, to be fair. Um, I think he's done some commentary games on the Championship, um, or maybe the Sports Sound live coverage of the games and is definitely welcome. So a little overhaul of that. I think the product is decent. I think open all mics is a really, really good thing. I think it's the sort of thing that you would want to see and listen sorry, listen to, but the people that are on it could definitely do a shake up. I feel that was quite an in-depth answer. Liam Greg, do you have anything to add to that? Um yeah, I feel like I I think I'll let Liam fly away with the, the Paki Bonner um example I think it was him that flagged but um, again they just seem to have a, a poor knowledge shall we say I think that you know the younger audience isn't really catered for and people like Rory Loy look he is okay I think he has done a couple of championship games but even if you get like I don't know even actual players on a lot more often or, or whatever just, just to mix it up a bit because folk want to hear what they, what they think they want to get their point of view. I just think having dinosaurs like Packy Bonner and Craig Levine or whatever, just it's not representative of the of the, of the audience. I'm gonna um, be I'm gonna be totally honest here. Craig Levine on Sports Sound I don't think's been a bad addition. I think he says some interesting things, but I think he's been no too bad. Just a fair Sorry, just, 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 to get, just to get us off our eye, just to really show that we're not all about Hibs. Um, <laughs> well, thank you for that. Sorry, Greg, sorry, Greg. 
that's okay. Mate. Um, yeah, sports scene. I think is is trying to be almost a bit like match of the day, with in depth analysis and all that. But folk in Scotland aren't asked about that at all. Nobody cares. And like, see when Sean Maloney was on it, I was at the pub. My mates and we were sort of slagging him off for saying, "Oh, first phase, second phase, and this and that." And yeah, folk don't want to hear that. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think it's. There's not a big audience for that, but like that, that's a guess they have on. But for me, Stephen Thompson's the answer either. But there we go. And uh, Liam, if you want to finish us off on that, on both. Well, I think I think we we'll just tackle sports sound first of all, shall we? Because uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, I, I think Willie Miller and Pat Bonner are a massive issue for me. Um, every every single week they have clangers. They say things that are just inappropriate. They don't do the research. They don't understand the game that they're talking about anymore mm. um, Colin one of our friends at another podcast always says Willie Miller was still playing when the pass back um, was allowed and it's right you know his knowledge of the game now is is is, is, is kind of dated and, and, and no longer valid I suppose and then you go Pat Bonner asking Craig Levine why he didn't pick Greg Taylor for the Scotland squad when he was 12 years of age when uh, <laughs> uh, Craig Levine was manager so you know I just I just think that it's it's just yeah it's, it, it, it's unfortunately a bit of a boys club it's seen as a bit of a boys club I, I noticed a couple of times last season they tried to get contributors from like fan media to be involved Um I think again, people that you've had on your show, Adam. Uh, I think maybe Natasha Meikle, yeah. uh, who does some of the Celtic stuff, mm-hmm. and I want to say maybe Sean McDonald had been on it at one point as well. Um, yeah, and I think that's great. Like, but where's that gone? It's disappeared, and it's kind of back to the safe, safe, the safe, the safe crowd on Sports Sound, um, and obviously the regular rhythm of shows is kind of slowed down as well. So I think that maybe demonstrates that it's getting a bit dated and people are getting a little bit tired because the numbers aren't there anymore uh, for Sports Sound, unfortunately. Which is a shame because it's a it's a great outlet and has the potential. Loads of people would love to get involved and get on um get on that show and, and contribute. But it, it, yeah, it's it's certainly losing a lot of its appeal for, for for younger listeners, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's entirely fair. But I think, speaking of something that I think is a broadly uh, positive thing, Adam, would be good to get your thoughts on it. Um, every week, BBC, um, as well as um, doing Sports Scene and Sports Sound, also show one game from the Championship, and BBC Alba show one women's game every week. Um, just how positive an impact do you think that that has on both the Championship and the women's game in Scotland, Adam? I think the really good thing about that is it's not presented as novelty. It's yeah. not It's not like... Uh, Right, uh, let's let's give the women a little thing here. It's just here's the here's the games from the the SWPL. You know, it's it's not like uh, we're doing this for a gimmick. Or we're doing, you know, it's treated as seriously as the man's game is. And obviously, the audience isn't necessarily there on the scale of the man's game at this moment. But that's I think probably the the best thing about it is the fact that it is just treated as another element of Scottish football as opposed to something different. The when uh, Jane, had Jane Lewis on the on the podcast and she said something that kind of stuck with me which was the you know for women it's a case of if you can see it you can be it um, and it's you know it's get, having this visibility of the women's game uh, and a, you know and it's filmed professionally it's discussed professionally and it's a regular program on the BBC I think that says to younger women who want to be involved in football that there is a route into it and it is a legitimate thing to want to do 
yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like, um, I, I was lucky enough to grow up with a sister that played football, so I've always kind of had an eye on the game, and it just like, like, like you said there, like, it made, it made her absolutely delighted the fact that if she wants to, she can actually tune into our TV and watch it. It's not something that was available ten years ago or so. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, feel free to chime in with your thoughts. No, I have. You Sorry, go. I'll interrupt you in this time. Um, <laughs> I actually watched the championship games, to be honest. I, I think they're all right, to be fair. Watched uh, Dunfermline v Partick Thistle last week, and I thought it was a good game. I thought that the championship's a good product as well, and probably doesn't get sold correctly. But I, I, I think it's it's interesting to watch other leagues as well in Scotland. I think that there's a lot of good stuff gets played. So it's not all about two clubs or one league. It's It's much broader than that. I think the the championship is where it needs to be. I like the setup of it. I think I don't think there's an audience for it on a, something like a Sky, and I don't think it's the sort of league that you want. I know there's the ta- the license fee and stuff. But I don't think you want it behind a paywall. I think you want to promote it as much that like they do. Like for me, if, if there's an English Premiership game and on a Friday night and a Scottish Championship game, I'll generally watch the English football game for seven to eight o'clock watching Carragher and Neville being a couple of arms and then I'll actually put the Scottish football on because like, I just find it much more entertaining yeah I was a romance of the championship as well like, uh, yeah. like both be- and being a physical fan but a virtual fan and going to places <laughs> like Somerset Park and and and, and you know Arbroath and uh, I couldn't remember the name of Arbroath Stadium for life Gayfield Gayfield good save um, you know go to those places and, and, and watching those games but also there is just something very like um, something very like authentic and real about watching Scottish Championship football on a Friday night in the middle of January when it's pissing down with rain because it's like that's just what football is to so many people. Mm. And you know, there's like a, almost like a 50-50 chance the game's going to get postponed because the weather's <laughs> so bad and the pitch is just so heavily waterlogged. Uh, it's, it's great. It's fantastic. And I think the Friday night slot's perfect. And I think that's where a lot of clubs maybe need to, you know, when, when we're getting games moved, because one thing we haven't covered is like games being moved by TV to really unsociable hours. So getting, you know, kickoffs perennially when you're playing at home to the old firm moved to 12 o'clock on a Sunday because the TV as a fan's not great. But actually as a fan, a lot of fans really like that 7.35, 7.30 slot on a Friday night because it's accessible. Most people can do that irrespective of kind of working patterns and stuff. So I, I do, I'm a big fan, a big fan of the Friday night championship football. I think like as well, you just got, it's a good league. It's that simple. It's a competitive league. Like we, we do a group bet every week and it, Every week, I think I'm going to put a team on for the championship, and Greg absolutely hounds me because it's like the most unpredictable league in the world. Like it's it's a good league, it's a good product, and just what Liam's saying there, maybe segues us into something else, Harry, about the kickoff times and that. We can go on about Sky, we can go on about BT, we can go on about BBC, whatever. But the SPFL for me need to start be putting sort of like. It's very clear and specific clauses into contracts, like around whether these are the slots we get, or you know, like there has to be. We shouldn't be saying we'll take what we can get. It should be these are the minimum that we want, and this is the value of it. And then, because at the end of the day, Sky, Sky pay their money. Sky can do whatever they want, as the under as it seems to be with like what the contract is just now. I think there has to be some work done, and hopefully the Delight like, review will work on that. Yeah, Liam, I think it's fair to say out of us four, I don't know, Adam, if you know too much about it, but you probably know most about, if you want to pronounce that review for me so I don't butcher it. Oh, delight. <laughs> yes. Um, if you want to talk us through that and kind of what that's about for the Scottish game. It's a, I think it was a central um, study that was commissioned by 
the SPFL as an, an overarching organisation to get some of the, I guess, thought leaders from within the SPFL group to look at what we could do to bring extra revenue and extra interest, extra markets into into the game. <clears throat> how you how you make it a more attractive product, I think, is the overall sort of exam question, if you like. Um, I know Ron Garden and Dave Cormack and others have been involved in that. Um, and I think I think it, it's probably as much about how it's sold in this country as it is in, in other countries. Because if you look at you know a lot of the revenue for some of the bigger leagues in Europe, it doesn't actually come from people within their own country watching. A lot of it comes from people from from out with that country being interested and tuning into the game, and I I guess you know, some clubs have maybe dipped into some um, unfamiliar markets if you want to call it that for players, and I I think there's definitely an element of that for me that is look, looking at trying to attract people from other countries to be interested in the game, as well as them being very good football players too. Um, you know, you know the two things have kind of gone hand in hand. We've, we've seen the number of um, certain club signings this season <laughs> yeah um I, th- I think it's something that often gets laughed at but i think it's something that scottish football realistically should be trying to take advantage of i think that globalization alongside scottish football league does sound daft on the front of it but there is a- apparently there's like a core of fifty thousand people that will watch celtic fans religiously from japan every week just because they've signed a few japanese players and then Australians will keep up with a Celtic score every week because they've got Angie Postacoglu. Like I think that globalization in the Scottish game would be a huge thing and would make it a bit would be able to get a more lucrative deal off the back of that. Um, but what what about ideas? So if, if we were to touch upon ideas in which we could make the game a bit more attractive to those that don't necessarily follow Scottish football already, um, what type of ideas do you think would work? I'm going to open the floor to Adam here, I think. I think he's going to... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a really good question, that. Um, I I think, first of all, um, we need to get past the sort of... I think there's an element, when you're talking about globalisation, I think there's an element of sort of Scottish cringe where we get a little bit embarrassed about promoting what we do. And, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of that myself, like, promoting the things. I do always, like, if I've got a podcast or whatever, I'm like, oh, shit, I've got to promote this on Twitter. I hope people don't think about it. Um, but, <laughs> but, like, but I think that it, I think we have to be a bit more confident in, uh, in the way that we promote our game and talk ourselves up. Um, but yeah, I, I think in terms of selling, you know, on a broader scale, what I was talking about earlier, that idea of spending the week promoting the game that's coming up at the weekend and not just the games involving Celtic Rangers. I think trying to, whether it's, you know, we mentioned Japan and Australia and there's obviously the Celtic connection there, but any Scottish club that's got, you know, a core of foreign players from certain countries, you know, is actually trying to tap into that market and saying, look, we've got, you know, we've got these players over here, but there's so much more to our game and it's not just... It's not just the football and the two-footed tackles and the rain. It's the fan culture and it's this and it's that. I think just talking up the games a really big one. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'd say that's maybe a wee bit general and vague, but yeah, no, I think that's entirely yeah. fair. Um, like looking back, do, do you, can you guys identify where the drop-off was? Because obviously, back in like the eighties, predominantly the sixties through the eighties, um, I went bust. <laughs> Scottish football was like up there competing with the best in Europe. Where where was that fall off, and how have we like managed to regress so much behind the rest of the European competition? It is think, money, isn't it? Like, 
Yeah. But I don't know what I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but why why did it, why what made others an attractive prospect and not Scottish? But why didn't these guys come and invest in Celtic and Rangers? We have a limit, don't we? Like we are a small country. Like we're not we're not a, we're not a tiny country, but we are a smaller country. And I think I don't know if it's because we're here, right? But we constantly get judged against the English Premiership, English lower leagues. We probably all do it ourselves. I don't know if anyone compares the Austrian league to the German league. Like, you know, I don't know if we're a victim of being next to this absolute fucking monster of a league, which is what the, the Premier League is down, down south, that is right on our doorstep as well. So people within our country, some of my friends follow English teams and have no interest in Scottish football, which is alien to me. But I think that does play a huge part in it, Harry, if I'm honest. And then that's where I think, whether it's the SPFL or the, the, the broadcasting company, they need to try and do something different, like the championship on a Friday night. Instead of putting a Scottish football game on at half past 12 on a Saturday, right before Super Sunday, put it on at half seven on the Saturday night when there's no other football on. You know, like the slot that Sky used to use for La Liga. Like, put it there. I, I want to say they used to do that. I think the 6-2 game was a Saturday night kickoff. I was, yeah. don't bring it back to like back to Hibs, but like it was a late kickoff. Like I know that because uh, Sky don't even have that slot now for the Premiership down south. B no, they no, they do have they it. Do sorry, have they it do currently have it again. But like, just try and be a little bit different with the kickoff times and stuff. And I know you're saying about when did the drop off come, but I did feel when Satanta went bust, like the finances drained out of Scottish football because it sort of left us just needing to accept anything. Hmm. Liam, had many extra thoughts on top of that? I think I mean you made a good point about the standard thing. It obviously completely ruins your, your your bargaining position, but you can't. People can recover from that. There was a collapse of a, a TV deal down south, um, and the English Football League looked like it was going to be in real peril, real trouble for quite a long time. Um, but the English Football League got back into bed with Sky, and if you look at the Championship, it's um, comparatively when you compare it across Europe in terms of the revenue it brings in, it's one of I think it's the six, either the sixth or the seventh biggest league in Europe, I want to say, despite the fact it's the second tier. Um, so, you know, clearly a huge amount of interest that exists in that, agenda, in that club and in that agenda. But granted, there are some very big football clubs, if you want to just use big as your descriptor word in the English Championship, there are some big clubs. Um, but no, I think, I think you know, some great points raised there. I think what I would say is just we do have to look at other leagues that are kind of of a nations of a comparative size to compare ourselves again. I think I guess I think that's fair. But even when you compare ourselves against the likes of I don't know like the the extra class in Poland or the Alsvenskan in Sweden, we bring in a lot less revenue than those countries do in terms of the, the TV TV deal. Um, you know even the Super League in Greece um, or the Elite Serien in Norway. You know those countries, some of them <laughs> have a TV deal which is double the size of ours. Um, and none of those leagues, I, I think, have a product in my very uh, sort of warped, siloed Scottish view of things. Have a have a have a product that is good as good as ours, uh, or is as internationally um, sellable, for want of a better word, as ours. You know, we have, uh, as Josie Mourinho would put it, football heritage. You know, <laughs> that, that goes along with our product, and I think I think we should and can sell that better if we have the right people involved in it. Um, but I think that that therein lies the yeah. problem. I had I, I'm going to ask Harry and Greg this if this is sorry. Well, in fact, everyone. But 
you had you asked the question earlier about fifty million or a hundred million, and you don't take up the games. So when you look at per game, the Scottish deal doesn't stack up so bad in terms of value per game. That the maximum it ranks seventh in the world, like in terms of value per game, um, at five just over five hundred thousand uh, per game if they take every game that they're entitled to. The example Liam used up in Norway, just about every game in all their divisions are available, whether it's through television or streaming source. Would Where do you land on it? Do you need to keep, because obviously just now you've got that rule between sort of three and half five, you can't get, uh, you can't show games live on the TV. Should the Scottish football, the SPFL be looking to maybe devalue per, the per game value in exchange for a larger pie? You know what I mean? At the end of it, like, so more money comes in, but do you run the risk of, because I think everyone's fear is that people don't come if it's on the telly. Um, well, my, my point of view, I've, I've said it on Twitter a few times. I think the best course to go down, I'd much rather see Scotland go independent with its Scottish football coverage. I think that we've shown throughout the pandemic that we can uh, viably show every single game via club's own channels. Um, I don't know if any of you got, I know you and you do, and I know Liam, you occasionally dabble in it, but um, NFL Red Zone, I think it's a fantastic thing. I don't know if any of you guys have ever um, watched La Liga yep. TV. Every single game is on television and can be watched. Um, I'm a bit of a football, Scottish football fanatic to the extent that I would happily spend my friend night through to Monday night watching Scottish football non-stop. I know that's not the same for everybody, but I think until you've got a profile for clubs more than just Celtic and Rangers, I think that you need to try and work on building that out. Um, so in essence, I don't think that money is the core that we need. I think it's frustrating that we don't have it in comparison to other countries, mm. but I think the core thing is we need to even start with Hearts, Hearts and Hibs. It's the second biggest game in the country. I think that both clubs need to have a profile that if you go down to England and speak to any Premier League football fan, if you say Hibs or Hearts, they're like, oh, yeah, the team from Edinburgh. Like, at the moment, maybe, like, two in every five will say, oh, yeah, I know them. And that's just yeah. not good enough, in my opinion. So what was the answer to my question? Um, answer your, I that was. Uh, no, I just, I just, I, I changed the question because I wanted to get that out. Um, but your question was long-winded, so I didn't really grasp what the concept. Basically, the right? Was. If Sky turned round and said we're going to, we'll, we'll, we'll double the deal, triple the deal, whatever it may well be, but we want access to be able to show every single game live. You know, not necessarily through TV, but through Sky Go. Let's say, you know, do do you take that risk of totally devaluing the in-game experience, I guess, in terms of the risk of would would the in-person attendances drop, but you're getting that cash flow like what they have in Norway, for example? Um, I would happily swap the cash flow for the attendance and still stay what they are. I don't think, I don't think we do need you, to... Do you think the attendances would be impacted that much? Definitely, because because folk ah exactly. See in the winter, like Wednesday night, just after Christmas, you're playing like Ross County at home or whatever. Like, come on, you know, <clears throat> there's no point putting the games on the telly because the attendances will drop. That's been shown that people are happy to sit in the house and watch it instead of going to the game and getting that atmosphere. So. Yeah, if I mean, I wouldn't want every game to be shown. I think it's okay the way it is now if we maybe just spread it out a wee bit more. Mm-hmm. What about yourself, Adam? Yeah, I, I think Greg kind of covered it there. I, I think it is uh, you're thinking about those fans who aren't going to go out to those 
you know, games in the winter and everything like that. Um, so I, I do think that has to be taken into consideration. I, I would just agree with what Craig said there. Yeah. Definitely for away fans, I think, to be fair. I think yeah. that's something that Scottish football is quite, maybe not unique in, but the even the, the, I reckon most teams take a good chunk of their average home attendance to every away game. Whereas I think you can see across Europe that sometimes the away support is absolutely stinking and it probably is due to access of ease for away games, you know, as opposed to, like, for me this season, I didn't go to Aberdeen last weekend because I knew I could pay it, like, when I factored in the fact it was £30 for a ticket, probably 50, 60, 70 quid to get up there, like, I could pay £15 and watch it in the house, you know what I mean? Well, one final thing we're going to do on broadcast, and then we'll quickly tap on other forms of media in Scottish football. If you guys, what would be the perfect looking broadcast deal for Scottish football for the next five years? If you could decide it tomorrow, Liam, you've got a smile on your face. We'll come to you first. What would be the perfect deal at the moment for Scottish football? I think uh, what we could do is the Tory government could just scrap Trident and then we could take all the money that we spend on Trident and just put that into the TV deal for the next like. 10 years. Um, I mean, in a real world, the, the ideal TV deal doesn't involve a Tory government at all, I suppose, does it? Probably involves <laughs> the downfall of the Tory government slowly, <laughs> limb by limb. But no, eh, aye, the money from Trident goes into Scottish football. Um, we get to decide what happens with it. And by some kind of twist of fate, we're allowed to drink at the games again. Um, and that attracts loads of people back to the stadiums and doesn't disincentivize people to watch it um, as it does at the moment. And everything's rosy. And Adam, I never realised I'd have to put this caveat in, but excluding the Tory government, what would um, your <laughs> ideal uh, broadcast deal look like? <laughs> uh, more money, more BT. Simple but effective, I love it. Greg, we'll come to you next. What about you? Um, so Adam agree with me, agrees with me on the last question. I would have to agree again. More money, more BT. More people that actually care about the game and want to promote the game in, in the positive light that it should be. Absolutely. And you and round us off on that question. On top of what the boys just said, better kickoff times for the TV televised game. Something a bit unique, you know. No, don't need to see us at half twelve on a Sunday ever again. I don't be telling Scottish football about you. We'll be kicking off at three a.m. It'll be brutal. Do you know? And uh, do you know we've got a lot of criticism. I don't know. If, like, did Aberdeen and Dundee not play at half five this season on a game that wasn't broadcast here, but it was being broadcast in America? And it was it was like a pilot. It was at Dens. It was right at the start of the season, sort of September October time. And uh, they were kicking off at half five. I'm sure it might even have been half seven. To obviously the two American owners that were trying to do something and it's never been done again so I'm assuming it fell fucking flat on his face but I just sound a bit sound a bit different um, with with more BT and more money I absolutely right, fair enough um, but yeah so we're just just quickly before we end because I do realise that we spent a bit more time on broadcast than I intended to but <laughs> um, the other Shock. form of coverage for the game um, I'm going to loop them both into the one um, I think virtual uh, coverage so that's looking at um, the likes of Twitter, fan media um, and then you've got print coverage which also extends to social coverage um, where your red tops like The Sun, um, Edinburgh Evening News, Daily Record um, Ewan, if, if you want to know what's going on in the Scottish game um, where's your current source? Where do, where do you go to if you just want a random update? Twitter, 100% Twitter um, it's the quickest and easiest way to find something whether that be directly Hibs or another club, you know, uh, 100%, 100% Twitter. And Adam, yourself? 
Well, yeah, it has to be Twitter. I mean, like, even if I'm, if there's a game I want to know the score of and I'm out or yeah. I'm working or something like that, you just have to scroll through your timeline and it's 50% people going yes and 50% people going fuck's sake. So, <laughs> yeah, tw- Twitter's obviously my, my stop for it. If it's things like, um, you know, injury updates or whatever, then maybe you'll Google that or yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But generally, Twitter would be my first stop. I don't want to have the same answer five times because I would be the same as that. Liam, Greg, do you differ from that at all? Well, I go to Twitter. I usually hey. find old fun facts that they share you everyone. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know about you guys. I, I kind of feel, I, I really like Edinburgh Evening News. I think as a Hibs um, fan, they've got like a dedicated Hibs writer. So I think that that does kind of help bridge the gap there. Um, but I, I kind of feel a lack of trust um, and some of the content that I see, like, for, for example, today, Scott Burns reported that um, Hibs were interested in Jack Canick, and then it got disproven about two hours later. I just find that really frustrating. It kind of backdates journalism a few years, because what's the point in reading something? Like, for me, if something's put in writing and published by a newspaper outlet, that should be fact. And it really winds me up that that doesn't seem to be the case every time in Scottish football. I think there's a big part as well that, uh, that I've, speaking to people at Stuart Cosgrove, we talk really highly about the Courier for Tayside. And again, similar to what you're saying with Edinburgh Evening News, I think they, outlets like that can be more yeah. insightful, more kind of forensic and not have to worry about generating clicks with the kind of, the way, the way that the larger newspapers, the business models run, they have to it's just click, click, click. And it has to be things like, Celtic star blasts Rangers ace in astonishing rant type crap. And you, when you're Edinburgh Evening News, The Courier, and there's probably various other examples, you can see these are the teams on my patch and we're in with the club. There's none of the, like, you know, you, you ask a Celtic fan about the record and there's an anti-Celtic agenda and you ask a Rangers fan about the record, there's an anti-Rangers agenda. And there's there's then the mistrust between not just the the papers and the fans, but also the clubs and the papers because the clubs don't want to alienate the fans. So the club take on this kind of siege mentality where it's us and the fans against the dreaded yep. MSM or whatever. But because of that, there's, there's no good relationship at any point part of that and it just becomes we're not going to attract loyalty from readers so it's just get the clicks in with these stories about you know if there's a grain of truth then we can substantiate it and it goes out but they don't really amount to much whereas if you're dead evening news you can really give that kind of detailed coverage of hips and hearts and build relationships at the club with people there and it's not biased coverage it's just more informed and passionate coverage I think the first two answers had to sum up, though, isn't it? What, why are they? Like, I know you've obviously you're passionate about journalism, Harry. It's where your your fields, but we all go to Twitter to get our news. They need to put something on a tweet that's a hundred, however many characters, and it needs to get our attention. Whether Scott Burns is right or wrong, do you know what? The truth's probably somewhere in the middle. Have Hibbs maybe mooted the idea to go for Jack Anik? Maybe, but he needs to basically say to his editor. I'm guessing. Like, you know, some it needs to get approval and how's he going to do it? If he mentions Aberdeen and Hibs, there's two fan bases that are interested. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's definitely a balancing act. Sorry, Liam. No, it's okay. Are, are you wanting to jump in still, Liam, or no? No, we'll move on. Okay. Um, well, one, one thing I wanted to bring up um, 
is I think in the, especially in the last like maybe three four years um, fan media has become a huge thing obviously we ourselves um, would fall into that category of fan media um, Adam I would kind of loop you in but like with the likes of yourself and Pi and Bovril in the sense that like significant accounts on Twitter um, in the Scottish football sphere, I think mm. it's a massive thing. Um, I think that growing up, there was a few times that community was kind of lost on me. Whereas now with fan media and stuff, like before we started the podcast, like I'd listen to Hibs talk and then you kind of have the discourse beneath that. And then if I'm ever bored and I want an argument, I'll go on Pi and Bovril and I'll join a couple of threads and just start uh, gabbing away at people. I think that... Um, the future is probably fan media. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys how what you guys think on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think you're right, but I think I don't. I wouldn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. The thing, yeah. like, I I kind of I can see both perspectives because I spent a couple of years as a journalist before I quit at the record, and it basically I, I worked with a lot of good people there, and yes, I think fan media is the future, and I think. This, uh, this sort of clicks-based approach, the, the business model, I don't think that can last much longer and I don't think it adds anything to the game. But I think that there are people there who've been journalists for 20, 30 years and they're, it, they have a completely different job. The sort of older, experienced journals have a completely different job from the young digital guys that work in there. And I think, and this is what I sort of tried to do when I was in there, I tried to learn from some of those older guys, just basic journalism, you know, basic, you know, the way you build relationships, the way you structure things and all the rest of it. And I think that there is room for fan media to, rather than just saying we're here to take over the MSN and bury them, I agree that fan media is the future and tabloid, tabloids and red tops, whatever, probably aren't. But I think there is room for some of the lessons from old school journalists to be absorbed. And similarly, I think if the, if the Red Tops are to have any kind of future, then they have to ra- not see fan media as the enemy. They have to actually embrace it. And you can see that there is a move from them to sort of do a bit more sort of video journalism and things like that, um, and maybe take on some younger people from fan media. What frustrates me is when I see people who are really, really skilled from the world of fan media getting those breaks in more established outlets, and then you get other fans saying, oh, they've got too big for their boots, or oh, they think they're the shit because they're doing this, that, and the other. And Liam, you mentioned Natasha Mikkel earlier on. She was a really good example of that. She got absolutely hounded by Celtic fans when she started getting appearances on the BBC and on Sky. And the reason that she got on BBC and Sky is because she's really articulate passionate about the club, knows her stuff, and represents the fans well. And there's a reason that the people slagging her off weren't getting invited on these things. But what sort of blew my mind about that whole thing, and, and it was sort of emblematic of this whole fan media versus the MSM thing, was it's fair enough for Celtic fans, Rangers fans, or whoever else to say the MSM's shite and they've got an agenda against us. That's totally legitimate, right? Even if they don't have the right end of the stick. But when one of your own actually goes into the MSM and tries to prove things from the inside, tries to represent the fans in a fair and, you know, positive way to then try and bring them down, that, that just, that infuriates me. So I, I think there's, I think there's a balance to be struck. I think fan media is the future. I don't think papers are, but I think that the two worlds could learn from each other rather than constantly being at loggerheads. 
Natasha obviously has the added thing of being a female as well and, and you know <laughs> yeah. we're, we're five guys sitting here on a podcast talking about the media in Scotland and I'm always very conscious of that you know we, we are in some some respects in a privileged position because I think female contributors in both the MSN and uh, MSM sorry and fan media are held to a higher standard than that of male broadcasters if you make yeah. a slip up as a female yeah. broadcaster you're more likely to get jumped on for making said mistake when you are a bloke we make mistakes on here every single Monday night and it's pretty rare to be honest that someone calls us out on them um, because we know that we're not held to that, that that same high standard but ultimately what Natasha and others are doing are, is, is bringing us a slightly different perspective to the game, bringing a, a different view of the game. There's this kind of almost, I wouldn't call it reverse snobbery or snobbery but it, it's, it's along those lines of you have to have played the game to a certain standard or mm. have to be a bloke who has represented Celtic or Rangers or have to be in some way intertwined in the game of football to be able to know and understand it. Uh, that's just nonsense. Football is the simplest game in the world. <laughs> it is the, you break it down, it is really, really simple. And we can all um, you know, start, uh, start our own podcast on a Monday night and start thinking we're the next Jurgen Klopp or Derek McInnes, you know, whoever, whoever we mm. want to be. I don't think anyone grows up wanting to be Derek McInnes, but actually... Reality is, you know, like we've all got a platform where we can talk about it and share our own perspectives, however basic or however advanced that perspective might be, or somewhere in the middle where most of us, where most of us land. Um, I just think, you know, I enjoy hearing different what different people think. I, what I don't like to hear is the same old regurgitated shite that unfortunately, and I'm not putting this all at the door of the, you know, the red tops and the mainstream media, but unfortunately, a lot of the stuff is... It's quite repetitive, I would, mm. I would say, and that, that would that would be my, my core criticism. Whereas I know that there's different outlets and different fan medias where I can go to to listen to a bit of a you know different view on things. You know, the guys from the Terrace, for example, do a good job in a very very different style to anyone else in Scottish football. That's not everyone's cup of tea because it's quite hipsterish. It's it, it's a little bit of a different view. It's quite it's quite informed. It's quite jokey. But there is absolutely a place for those 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 different people within 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 the game. All right, well, guys, we're, we're coming towards the end. So uh, I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions just to kind of end on a high note. We've, we've kind of covered the good, the bad, and the um, Tories ruining the Scottish game uh, of broadcasting here. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to end it on a couple of questions. So um, just, just kind of a simple question. What does good look like in Scottish football media in terms of broadcasting, in terms of, like, actual coverage? Ian, we'll come to you first. What does good look like to you? Um, easy to find, you know, like really, really easy to find. Um, yeah, do you know that's probably it. That's the number easy to find, easily accessible, and just almost in your face. I want to hear about Scottish football every day, like whether that be through radio channels, online channels, television channels, wh- whatever it is. You know, you've got things like talk sport and stuff, huge nationwide things like. Uh, be a mate, you know, you've got the goal football radio show and stuff, but if we could just get something that was countrywide, something like that, you know, I think that'd be really, really good. I don't I don't know what it entirely is, but I think it should be a lot easier to find things than it is currently. And Greg yourself, what, what would be good for Scottish football for you? A fair price, <clears throat> accessible. Um sorry to confirm, is that from for like a broadcast deal or is that from like the fans' perspective? Yeah. 
both to be honest um, you can't price the, the fans of the football I think that happens too much I think was it 52 quid for a ticket for the old farm or something that's that's insane um, proper ticket prices proper television deals just promoted in the right way you know accurately effectively that, that's what good looks like it's bare minimum have, stuff but but it's what good looks like it should all go hand in hand as well you'd like to think with an increase yeah. with better promotion you get a better TV deal with a better TV deal you'd like to like to think that that trickles into fans across the country's pockets yeah. in terms of a little bit cheaper season tickets or whatever it's probably not going to happen but, but clubs yeah. get greedy and that's the problem yeah and Adam yourself what, what does good look like to you? well researched passionate in tune with what the fans want so giving fans articulate fans a voice within that world of the media um not pandering to sort of lowest common denominator with bullshit x has astonishing rant stuff actually well-informed pieces that are passionate and enhance people's enjoyment of the game well, thank you very much, Adam, for describing our podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking he's never listened to this before, has he? <laughs> no, but awesome answer. Liam, yourself? Just to, just to piggyback on Greg's point, I think a, a, a price cap of some description for, for, for match-going fans and those who, who, who don't go to matches so that no one pays above a certain amount for, 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 for the products. I think that's a really important thing. But then in terms of selling the game for me, just hunters and hunters in narrative, like narrative. Just, just give me narrative with, with everything. So, show me Dunfermline versus Ray. Show me Motherwell versus Hamilton. Dundee versus Dundee United. Kelly versus Ayr. Put those games on the telly. And I tell you what, if you've got enough games left in the TV contract, maybe show Celtic to Rangers. <laughs> I like it. And then one, one final one. This is going to be a bit more of a loopy one. If you could add one thing to the broadcast coverage that's currently missing, what would you add? And my one, I'll I'll start us off this time. Um, I would add the fan uh, commentary from back in the day because I used to watch that religiously every week and I would wet myself. There was a Hibs Hearts one where Hibs scored in like the 80th minute and the guy whapped his top off and was going absolutely Oof. rad. It was absolute comedy gold every week. English and Scottish football both used to do it and it was unbelievable. So if I could add one daft thing, it would definitely be that. Adam, we'll end on you, so I'm not coming to you next. All right, Liam, what, what would you think to add? I'm glad you went there, right? <laughs> I, I, the, the funny thing is I actually saw this but I think I actually came up with this question but I don't have an answer to it <laughs> <laughs> it could be a dream pundit as well if you'd fancy do you know what I got a wee bit romantic um, when they when they, they said that um, uh, Masters football's coming back I don't know it's just a complete side point but I would be all over like a Scottish yeah. football Masters oh, at, like I don't know as well, the, like? the Hydro or somewhere like that oh. and you get fans of all teams in there and you, you know, like regionalise the competition so it's like Hibs, Hearts and a couple of other sort of clubs from the East in it and then Glasgow, Celtic, Glasgow Rangers, Partick Thistle and another Glasgow team, Clyde, Clyde uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just I just think that would just be class, like bring, bring it back and, and, and let people drink, let people enjoy themselves The problem is you're saying let people drink with that a couple of years ago they had, they had a thing at the Hydro yeah. and it was I can't remember what it was called but it was a fives tournament and I think yeah. it was Saturday Sunday and I got tickets from through the record for the Sunday and 
it was really like it was a good fun idea and it was put on well but it was so sluggish and apparently the day before had been brilliant and it turned out they'd all get pissed on the Saturday night <laughs> so it was like, they were all just playing with a hangover the thing the that there was another issue there Liam as well because that obviously couldn't be organised by the SPFL when you're talking about putting it into different areas of the country to regionalise it given the state of the League Cup group stages <laughs> ah, you'd have Elgin City versus Queen of the South would be like one of, one of the first group stage games ah, very good um, I don't Harry I've, I've not got a fucking clue mate <laughs> well, you, what, what if, who, who would be your dream pundit that would be on the <clears throat> box every week or dream um, commentator it's going to be too obvious to say Alan McCoyst um, but right. I'm going. I'm going to say I really like Rory Hamilton. I think. Mm. I think he should be. I think he's probably. I think he's going to be got under contract with Sunset and Vine. But if he could be intertwined, how many? Because I like Ian Crocker as well. Maybe if they could just be a little bit more rotated, like both under contract with Sky, would be fantastic. Hey, I like him. And Greg, any any happiness to impart onto Scottish football? The correct answer for the pundit was Roy Keane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would enjoy Roy Keane rattling about five yard passes or whatever um, I, I think similar to your idea Harry even having two fans on the panel or whatever you know, let them battle it out that's what folk want to see Scottish football's always been known for being quite tribal so why not why not have that in the, the pundit the pundits as well I'm now thinking of like a properly staunch Rangers fan sitting beside Chris Boyd whilst out like out and out Celt sits beside Chris Sutton. Imagine <laughs> like who would you try and restrain in the studio if that went down at an old firm game? Goodness. But speaking of old firm, old firm fans, Adam, end us off. What what would you add to Scottish football just to make it that bit more perfect? Make up the refs. Oh. <laughs> if you can if you can make up the refs and have basically an audio version of that penalty to Rangers meme. <laughs> so, and I, I like you know if, if Rangers are getting a dodgy penalty and it's like Bobby Madden or whoever it is does he does he ha- does he have to say the words or does he just uh, point to his phone and go, lads you know what I'm about to say yeah what about his beard last weekend by the way did you see the neck of that it, it was a Dun- Rangers Dundee oh yeah fucker I know I, know I can't talk but wow. <laughs> That was a big, big moment for me. Actually, was that I, I took a screenshot to post a tweet, and then the next day he shared that screenshot on his Instagram. I was like, this might be one of the biggest things that's happened to me since I started. <laughs> Bobby Madden, Bobby Madden's using a picture I took. <laughs> cool. I like how many interactions you must have got across the years, and Bobby Madden's the one that's made you a bit starstruck. <laughs> I just want to know how many times a day you get called a Rangers fan or a Celtic fan. Uh, it, hap- yeah, it happens happens a lot. The, the, the ones that always get me, right, is like, it's totally fine if people say he's a Celtic fan or he's a Rangers fan, right? Like, as an opinion. But the ones where people state it as a fact, like people who've never met me, who have no idea what I'm like, what I look like, where I've been, what school I went to, anything like that, but they'll state it as a fact. They'll go, ah, that's his true colours coming out, or like, well, I know for a fact that he's this, and you're like, you don't have a fucking clue who I am. Like, <laughs> like, so if, when you've got Celtic and Rangers fans saying the exact opposite of each other, it's like at least 50% of you are looking daft. Like, but basically, I constantly have 
the Celtic or Rangers thing, but there's there's one guy, and I've not heard from him for a while, but there was one guy who was convinced for ages that I was a Hibs fan. And I think that where that came from was that I just made loads of jokes about Rangers after the cup final. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think that they just saw that out of context and thought, it's a Hibs account. And I was, uh, and I was like, no, it's a take the piss out of Celtic and Rangers account. <laughs> right, well, well a segment to end on um, Adam obviously I don't think you're ever going to reveal the team that you support but we're going to go around as a podcast mm. and we're going to guess what team Liam what team do you reckon Adam supports I think it's going to be some something really obscure like I don't know Auchinleck Talbot or something <laughs> like Ian what's, what's your punt I'm going to say I'm going to go on what Liam said earlier Clyde Mm. Ooh, okay. And Greg, any guesses? Uh, my initial thought was Motherwell, um, but I think I'll go for something a bit more obscure, like Queen's Park. Oh, interesting. Mm. And well, I just say, if he does turn out to be a Clyde supporter, who's going to let Doogie Donnelly know that he's the second most famous Clyde supporter? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to end it. Um, as Adam says, some some guys just know as a fact. I know for a fact that Adam's a Partick Thistle fan. So uh, <laughs> that'll be that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, this will be an interesting conversation to tell the guys at Fur Hill next week. Wait, 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 wait. What, what do you eat when you're at Fur Hill? What, what's <laughs> <it>? <laughs> uh, I'll just pick up something at a vegan cafe in West End. <laughs> <laughs> well, in our very down the slope way, which was somewhat structured but lost halfway through, and then kind of came back in the end. Uh, we covered media and Scottish football. This was the first episode of State of the Game. Adam, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks a lot for having me on. No, our pleasure. And guys, thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Cheers.